0: Let's pray. Father, I ask that Your Holy Spirit gives us insight into Your Word this morning. God, these are such simple words, and yet they speak of glory beyond comprehension. Father, I pray that You would make this text practical in our lives that we might love Christ more and listen to Him. Father, I pray for individual souls uh, this morning. God, You know the state of every man and woman, and You know those who find their hope in You. And God, I pray that uh, we would all be people who cling to Christ, that people would say of us, that's a person whose whole hope is in Christ alone. That Father, we wouldn't just believe in Christ in our thinking, but cling to him with our hearts. That's what I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the title of the message is simple. It's Listen to Jesus. And uh, it may be a simple title. Wednesday of this week, if someone said, what was the sermon Sunday? I hope you know what the sermon's about. Listen to Jesus. Yet, it's one of the most difficult things for human beings, fallen human beings to do. Listening has always been a key problem for the human race. Uh, Proof, I love my daughters dearly. They're sweet girls. A lot of you know them. But, Lauren, I often talk about the listening problem they have. They don't seem to hear always uh, what uh, we're saying and yet... Laura and I have the same problem. And the problem, the reason why we struggle hearing isn't because our ears don't work, but it's because we think we're so smart and that we know. Nearly every human being thinks they're right about whatever they think. It's what it means to be fallen. It's what it means... To be a fool is to have confidence in and of ourselves that we know better, especially that we know better than God. You go back to Adam and Eve, the problem in the garden was they had a listening problem. God was kind to them. God spoke to them. They had perfect uh, relations uh relationship with him, and yet the serpent comes and says, Did God really say? and they begin to trust their own judgment rather than God who's done nothing uh up to that point to ever cause someone not to trust him or for Adam and Eve not to trust them. When uh I preach through the book of first Samuel uh a year and a half ago, it was like I was preaching the same sermon every week. The message is, those who listen to God, things go good. Those who follow what seems right because God's continually asking whether it's Samuel or David or Saul to do things that seem impossible. Circumstances that don't seem right. And Saul, for the most part, looked at things from a worldly perspective. How many people are in their army? I don't know if we can do this, so I'm going to do it this way. I know God said, don't keep the spoil, but I'm going to keep the spoil. We'll use some of that to make offerings to God. And for Saul, things didn't go good. And for David, often they did as he listened to God. It's like the whole book of 1 Samuel, I could have preached in one sermon. Think of that. Listen to God's Word. But it's that way throughout the whole Scripture. In fact, uh, as Jesus leaves the glory of heaven and is humbled and takes on human flesh, God Himself as he becomes man and he shows up on this earth, people had an issue with listening to him as well. In Luke 11.47, he says to the religious leaders, he says, Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed, so you are witnesses and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs Woe to you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. You do not enter yourself and you hinder those who are entering. He says, you religious leaders, what your fathers did is they took the people God was speaking through, the prophets, and they killed them because they did not want to listen to God. You built their tombs. And he says, you've taken away the key to knowledge. Which is listening to God's words, which is listening to Christ, as we're gonna see this morning. In fact, Jesus said to these same religious leaders, you'll go across land and sea to make one convert to your religion and and when you do that you make them twice as much the sons of hell as you are. You think you know, but you never listened. And from Adam and Eve up until this time, the human race has shown their arrogance, their rebellion, their pride, and their rejection of God's Word. It's no different today in our society. People lick their finger, put it in the air. Which way's the wind blowing? That seems more convincing than what God says in we live in a day and age just like it's always been where fallen man does not like to listen to god's words now i want to draw attention to the first verse of luke 9 and how the sermon's going to go is we're going to go through this text we're going to look kind of at the main point listen to christ and then we're going to come back next week and uh, we're going to see how this practically really fleshes out in our day-to-day life. We're going to see how it fleshed out for Peter, who is actually uh, witnessing this transfiguration of Christ. And I don't know if someone would come up to you uh, before the service today and said, what's the transfiguration all about? Most of us have heard this story before, but it kind of seems like this weird event that happens that if you were to give what's the reason for it, we might struggle. And yet I hope you see this morning how practical, how you can build your life off what God is revealing in this event. Uh, let's begin in verse 26. Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Now why would Jesus say this? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, whoever doesn't want to listen to my words, when the Son of Man comes in glory, He will be ashamed of those people. Well, what is Jesus just said to them? He just said something that instantly offended Peter. We know from Matthew's Gospel, but let's just look in Luke. What did He just say? Uh, Jesus had just asked them, who do people say that I am? And people are struggling. Jesus is doing miracles. They're trying to figure out, is this Elijah? Is this Moses? Is this John the Baptist? Is this one of the prophets? Who is this? Peter makes the confession, you are the Christ. And right after Peter says that, Jesus says this, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed And on the third day, be raised. That's not what Peter wanted to hear. So Matthew tells us that Peter, right after saying this is the Christ, the Son of God, grabs Jesus, pulls him inside and says, no, 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 no. (laughs) This is not going to happen that way. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get behind me, Satan. Peter's acting like a human being. Peter isn't interested in listening so much. This is the Christ. He wants to tell the Christ how to do it. He knows what's better. And yet Jesus says, no, this is how it's going to go. Persecution, suffering, resurrection, and glory. And then he says something even more offensive, for he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? And that's when Jesus says, if, if, if this makes you ashamed, if you don't want to recognize that there is no goodness in and of yourself apart from the grace of God, only sin, The good things we do is only by the grace of God. The Bible teaches we're fully rebels against God. And Jesus says, unless you're willing to deny yourself, if you come before God and say, God, here's what I did. I was pretty good. You have put yourself up on a pedestal and said, receive me. Jesus said, you'll lose your life if you live that way. But if you believe that there's, Nothing good in, of, in and of yourself. If you'll lose all hope in yourself and put your trust in me, you'll have eternal life. And so when He says, who's ever ashamed of me and my words of Him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when He comes in His glory and the glory of the Father and of the angels, He's knows that many are going to be ashamed of him the son of man's going to be ashamed of many people when he comes back what does it mean that he comes in glory these are words that we use all the time and we have no idea what they mean and even the best scholars i read what they what it means and you realize that human beings grasping at describing the glory of god struggle God, throughout the Old Testament, revealed himself in what um, Jewish scholars call uh, Shekinah glory. It's not a biblical word, but it describes truth in the Scripture, just like the Trinity isn't a word in the Bible, but we can see the reality that the Holy Spirit is God, Jesus is God, and the Father is God we can see that the Shekinah glory of God is revealed all throughout the Old Testament. When God wants to reveal Himself, God who is spirit, God who is invisible, when He wants to reveal Himself to man, He decided to do it in light, in bright, shining light, in a pillar of a cloud. And Matthew tells us that The cloud in the transfiguration is a bright cloud, but it always represents the presence of God with his people. In Exodus 13, when he has rescued his people out of Egypt, the the Israelites were told, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by the day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. God's presence was with his people as he led them into the wilderness. And then in Exodus 33, when uh, we're told about when Moses would enter the tent, the tabernacle where the presence of God dwells, and he is Israel's prophet and leader. Uh, we're told Moses, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak to Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent and all the people would rise up and worship, each at his tent door, thus the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. So when God would speak to Moses, his presence was in a cloud that would stand at the front of the tent of meeting when Moses would show up there. But Moses says to the Lord in Exodus thirty-three twelve, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you've also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I, may not, that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, this nation your people. So he's saying, who's going to go with me? He said, I know you say you know me, but I want to know your ways, he's saying. In verse 14, God answers him, my presence will go with you. And I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will go with me, do not bring us, or if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. He's saying, I don't want to lead this people if your presence isn't with me. For how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight and I your people? Is it not um, in your going with us so that we are distinct and I your people from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you've spoken I'll do for you. For you have found favor in my sight and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I'll make my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim before you my name, the Lord. So Moses is saying, you're too mysterious to me. I got. I have to see you more. And but the Lord says, Alright, I'm gonna tell you my name, I'll go before you'll uh, and, the, and then the Lord said, I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, I'll show mercy on whom I'll show mercy, but he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on a rock, and while my glory passes by I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So the presence, the Shekinah glory of God that represents God's presence is so great, man will die if he sees it. He shows it to Moses, just a glimpse as he's passing by in a way. He got to see the end of it. God protected him. If he was to give him what he asked for, he would die. And so there's this theme all throughout the Old Testament that the presence of God in his glory is shown through this light or the uh, a cloud. And so Jesus just said to them that... Uh, Jesus is coming in glory. Those are big words. The Son of Man is coming with the glory of God. Right now His glory is veiled behind a human body. It's not shining forth. Yes, He's doing amazing miracles. You can see the beginnings of the kingdom of God, but they don't see nothing of His shining Yet at this time, and we're told in verse 27, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. You see, a person might think, well, those are big words. Jesus, you're coming back and we better take warning because if we're ashamed of you, you're going to be ashamed of us. How can we know that's true? And then he makes a promise. He prophesies. He says, there's some standing here before you die. You're going to see the kingdom of God. How will they see the kingdom of God before they die? Some of those who are standing there. And then he says in verse 28... Now, about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter, James, and John and went up on a mountain to pray. Now, why did Jesus pick three of them and go up on a mountain to pray? Well, we know that the apostles are to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. They're to be witnesses of God and his promises. But one of the ways you knew that a prophet was true or the way you did know a prophet in the Old Testament was true was whether their prophecies came true. And if their prophecies didn't come true, they were to kill the false prophets. And so what the prophets would do is they would prophesy big things that are way out in the future, but yet they would prophesy things in their day so they knew those things, were coming true as well. So you had Moses prophesy In Peter tells us about in Acts 3.22, Moses said, the Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. So who did the Lord raise up? Joshua in their day and obviously, it's pointing past Joshua to the prophet that all the other prophets were pointing to, pointing to Christ. It's the same in Isaiah 7, a Christmas text we hear uh, a lot, 7 verse 14. Uh, the prophet Isaiah says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Uh, what's happening is the northern kingdom is threatening to kill the southern kingdom, Judah by uh, making allies with Syria and King Ahaz of the southern kingdom rather than trusting God wants to make partners with us Syria and there's going to be a big battle but God says come on ask for a sign and and the king of Judah says oh I don't want to bother you God uh he doesn't want to trust in God he wants to trust in man but God says I'm going to give you a sign anyways here's the sign Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse evil and choose good. Before the boy knows how to refuse evil and choose good, the land whose kings, two kings you dread will be deserted. Now, this is a prophecy. It seems like he's saying a virgin, by the time she has a child and gives birth, and before he gets to be to the age where he can discern good or evil, these two nations you're so afraid of, the northern kingdom and Syria, they're going to be gone. And in 722, they were gone. Prophecy fulfilled, right? But what does Matthew say? Matthew says Isaiah's prophecy is fulfilled on a, bigger scope, a bigger trajectory in the miraculous birth of Christ as Mary the Virgin gives uh, birth to Christ. So Jesus makes a big promise. He's coming and there's some of you here that are going to see a preview of that coming glory so that you will know, know that I'm a true prophet, I'm the true prophet, and that you'll take my words serious. And the reason why there he takes three of them is in Deuteronomy 9.15 uh, in the law of God given to Moses. Uh, we're told the single witness shall not suffice against any person for a crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed on the evidence of two uh, witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If you're going to have a believable claim, if you're going to witness to something truthfully, to have two witnesses will suffice, to have three witnesses is the full amount that you may trust them. So he takes Peter, James, and John, up on a mountain to pray. And it says after eight days. Now, don't be concerned. If you read in Mark, it says six days. If you read in Matthew, it says six days. But Luke says now about eight days after these things, he took with him Peter uh, and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. What you shouldn't be thinking is, shall I trust God's word? Because that's the problem from the beginning, right? Uh, was happening, and you see this several times in the Bible, Luke is counting the day the prophecy was given and the day it was fulfilled where Mark and Matthew are obviously counting the days in between the prophecy. But in verse 29, we read these simple words, yet amazing words. The appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish. Now, there's a lot here, but I just want to make a few observations. It says, as he was praying the appearance of his face, was altered. Matthew says uh, He was transfigured before them and His face shone like the sun. You realize you can't look at the sun? We know it's there. If it's veiled by a cloud, you can kind of start to look and it starts to look beautiful, but if it's in full glory, you cannot sit there and look at it. His face is shining like the sun, it's been changed, it's been transfigured. It's where we get the word, uh, Greek word, uh, metamorpho. We think of metamorphosis when uh, cocoon, an ugly cocoon that used to be a caterpillar turns into a beautiful butterfly. It's that word. His face was altered before them and... This was not a reflective glory. When Moses came down from the mountain getting the law, the law, the people of Israel were terrified because his face was still glowing from the reflected glory of God as God met with him. But here, Shekinah glory is emanating out of Jesus. His clothes are dazzling white Like light, not like just a white piece of paper. That's not shining white. Why are they dazzling? It's not because light's coming in on clothes, but light is coming through them. Glory is coming out of Christ. And he's talking with Moses and Elijah. Now, I'm telling you, these are the superheroes of Israel. You know, we don't follow Jesus, we follow Moses. We follow Elijah. Elijah did a lot of great miracles as well. This is the debate of the day. Who is Jesus? Well, maybe he's this superhero. Maybe he's Moses' comeback. Maybe Elijah's comeback. Maybe John the Baptist has come back from the dead. But here's Jesus standing in glory. And Moses and Elijah are standing with him and they were talking with him. We even get to know what they're talking about. They appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. If you ever thought Jesus was a victim of the cross, you're wrong. It's something he came to accomplish. Jesus came down to the earth to die. You know, we celebrate, oh, a precious little baby, so sweet. Oh, yeah. His mission was to come, live 33 years, and go to a cross. And he's talking with the prophets who've been pointing to Jesus about the climax of God's glory that's going to be shown at the cross as the Son of God dies there. <laughs> it's an amazing picture, isn't it? These prophets are pointing forward to the one who is to come. And now they're talking with them and Jesus is probably saying, yeah, here's what's about to happen. I just told my disciples, they don't want to listen to me. They try to, they're trying to stop me from going to the cross, but here's what I'm about to accomplish. And we see that Christ is fulfilling what the Old Testament was pointing forward to, and the whole New Testament speaks of Christ as light. First John one five, this is the message we've heard and proclaimed from him to you that God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. And then in First John chapter two eight, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I' am writing to you, which is true in him, in Christ and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining the old testament prophets were prophesying about light but that's kind of like darkness in comparison to this new light that's already shining in christ in john 8:12 jesus spoke to them and said i am the light of the world whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life if you follow jesus you will not walk in darkness which means the presence of god will always be with you which is what jesus told his disciples and then in john 9 5 as long as i'm in the world i'm the light of the world and in acts 9 3 when uh paul who's killing christians he's on his way walking down the road to go arrest and kill more Christians that Christ revealed himself to him. And we're told as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Peter, James, and John get to see Christ, a preview of Him in His glory, in this light. And by the way, the amazing thing about the Bible is the Holy Spirit spoke through human beings over the course of about 1,200 uh, years as it's recorded, and um, here's how the Bible ends. Speaking of the new heavens and new earth, Revelation twenty one twenty three, And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and His lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations shall walk, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. The reason why there's no night in the new heavens and new earth is because Christ is there in full shining glory, giving light to everyone. People get to dwell with him. You're going to be so strengthened in your new bodies, in your glorified bodies, that you're not going to die in the presence of the glory of Christ. It's an amazing thing to think about. But what's the meaning of Moses and Elijah there with him? Now, when Jesus talked about the Old Testament, he would say things like this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. When Jesus refers to the Old Testament, he says the law and the prophets. Well, Moses represents the law and Elijah represents the prophets, Matthew 11:13, "For the prophets and the law, prophesied until John, and then John comes and points to Christ. Matthew 22:40 says, "On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets." So the Old Testament witness is standing there with Jesus. They're standing there. Here's what you need to picture. Moses, the one whom God gave the law through, is pointing at Jesus. Elijah's there, representing the prophets of the Old Testament, is pointing at Jesus. And we see in uh, verse 30 then, and behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which was he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Then in verse uh, 32, now Peter, how did they respond? Those who were with him were heavy with sleep, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And as the men were parting from him, so get the picture, Elijah and Moses, we don't know how they knew it was Elijah and Moses, but they did. Maybe they introduced themselves, we don't know. But they knew that's who's with Jesus. They begin to walk away from Jesus. And Peter, whom whom we all get a kick out of, because he always acts and he always speaks before he thinks, and he actually makes a fool out of himself almost every time he does this. He has the audacity. Now just imagine. <laughs> the glory, Shekinah glory is shining through Christ. Moses and Elijah are there, and Peter just kind of wakes up to this scene and he feels need to start talking, which is amazing because most people, when they see the glory of God, don't talk. They stand in awe, but Peter being Peter begins to talk. First thing he says is something true and good. Master, it is good that we are here. Amen, Peter. It is good. Peter is getting a preview of the presence of the glory of Christ in the second coming. There is nothing better. And Peter, it is good that we are here. But that's where his wisdom stops because then he starts to give suggestions. Now notice Jesus brought him up on the mountain they fell asleep. But Jesus, Peter wakes up and he wants to start suggesting again things as he suggested to Christ. Maybe he doesn't want to go to the cross. Peter's being like a human being again. He's not quick to listen. He's quick to have his own ideas come to fruition. So here's what Peter says. Let us make three tenths one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now they're walking away, and Peter's like, "No, this was this was awesome." They're leaving already. Here's what: I, Let's do this. I'm going to make a tabernacle. We'll put Moses in that one. We'll put Elijah in this one. Jesus will make you one, and we'll, let's just keep this thing going. Let's start the kingdom of God right now. Let's forget all that suffering stuff. Let's stay here now. Way better plan than having them walk away and you're not stopping them. This thing just started. Well, it's a preview. It's a glimpse. And in Peter's pride and arrogance with this idea, God takes over verse 34 as he was saying these things a cloud came and overshadowed them God up the ante on his glory and they were afraid as they entered the cloud and a voice came out of the cloud saying this is my son my chosen one, listen to him. My translation would be Peter, shut up. Stop controlling everything. Now, I get the privilege to do a lot of biblical counseling. One of the main things. I counsel for is to help people stop trying to control everything because we're not in control of everything. Most of the things people worry about are outside of their control. We're just like Peter. We want to control it. We don't want to see suffering on the horizon. We don't want to imagine God has a plan that gets more difficult before glory comes. But God says... This is my beloved son, with him I am well pleased. Here's what God wanted to do. God wanted to have Elijah and Moses there talking to Jesus about his departure, essentially pointing at him and then walking away. Because what do they have to do with salvation other than their prophets that pointed to Jesus? God wants to shine the light on Christ Peter's like, let's just keep it all going. And yet God's saying, you want to know who my son is? It's not Elijah. It's not Moses. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to Christ. And as they entered the cloud, a voice came saying, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. He's God's plan. He's the one the law was pointing to. He's the one the prophets were pointing to. He's the second Adam. He's the man that's going to represent the human race with life rather than death. Because everyone in the entire world is born sinful, headed for hell, headed for death in Adam. Yet God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you can have a different representative rather than Adam, so that you could have Christ, God's Son. He lived a perfect life as a man. So that if you're not ashamed of Him, and you're willing to consider your life nothing, I have no goodness in and of myself. He's my only hope. Well, when he comes on those clouds and when he comes in glory, it's a terrifying thing. We don't have time this morning to look at all the verses. Those who aren't hoping in Christ when he comes, what they cry is let the mountains fall on me so I don't have to face the wrath of the Lamb. We're told in Revelation that Jesus comes to tread the winepress of the wrath of God. He's coming to save those who are hoping in Him. And the reason why we're not ashamed is because we understand the cross. We understand what He did for us. So we're waiting. That's what we're going to look at next week. When you read Peter's letters, you know He's living off what the prophet said and what He saw at the transfiguration. He keeps talking about the light. Suffer now, Christians, because glory's coming. That's what he's saying. Don't believe the false prophets that are saying, oh, he's not going to come back. We're going to look at that next week. He says, oh yeah, they, they, they tend to forget that he already came back once and flooded the earth. Those people that say you can't trust in the second coming. And then, and then Peter was humbled Matthew's gospel says he was still speaking when behold a bright cloud overshadowed them a voice from the cloud said this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased and they fell to the ground and they were terrified terrified you see Peter learns he's a slow learner but he learns he's still going to say oh I'll never deny you I'll die for you and then that night he denies him three times he's learning lessons that he should never trust in his plan or his way. And my question for you this morning is, will you listen to Christ? Do you want to listen to Christ? It's not so much do you believe in him, because the Bible says the demons believe in him and shudder. They tremble. They're afraid of Christ. It's not enough to intellectually say, I believe he exists. The question is, is do you listen to him? Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I tell you? This is a weird situation. You declare yourself my servants and I your king and master, and yet you don't want to listen to me? The whole Christian life is lived by faith in the Son of God. Paul says, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you asked Paul, if you wondered what Paul's life is like, man, that's the guy who's hoping in this guy named Jesus who he says is coming again in glory. He's not staking his life on the glory on this earth, but the glory that's coming in Christ So, the prophets point at Jesus. The Father speaks out of heaven, point to Jesus and say, listen to him. What is Jesus saying? What has Jesus just said? He points to the cross. That's where I'm going. If you want to follow me, there's only one way to follow me. It's to find your hope in that cross. And the reason why... uh, They didn't tell anyone and they kept silent and told no one in those days anything that they had seen. As Matthew's Gospel tells us this, as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. There is no good news apart from the cross. That's the point. You don't go proclaim the Christ yet because the Christ isn't seen in all of His glory yet. Because he hasn't been lifted up on a cross, dying for sinners. Once he, once I die, and once I'm raised, you go tell people what you saw. You go tell them the second coming is true, and that Moses and Elijah were pointing to it, and that we saw it. We saw his glory. My prayer is, is. His coming is not a scary day for you. But the very thing you pray for when you wake up in the morning that you finally get to see Christ in all of His glory and be in His presence. Because if that's what you're praying, you know that you're forgiven in Christ. You know that He died a sacrificial death for you. And how do you receive that forgiveness for sin? How do you receive that pardon? By trusting in it. By trusting in Christ that he came to pay the price for you. That's my prayer. All of us. when None of us would be ashamed when he comes. Father, thank you for this beautiful passage which points us to Christ alone. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's not Jesus that has wisdom to give us, but that heaven and hell, life, eternal life, eternal death are at stake in one person, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would cling to Him, that we would proclaim Him, that we would tell of His second coming, Father, I pray that all of us would turn from sin that uh, is promising life but can never deliver on it. We would turn from our sin and that we would listen to Jesus. That we would listen to how He wants us to live our life in light of our salvation in Him. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.